Welcome to Sticks and Taps, where the conversation is hockey and the keg is always cold. The games will be on soon, so let's step up to the bar, grab a pint, get into it. Your host, Paul Cuthbert and Liam McGuire. Slander, fellas, and don't forget to pay your tabs. Ah, oh, thank you so much there, Seamus, as always, for the grand introduction. It is Thursday, April 2nd, 2020. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, here hosting Sticks and Taps, the greatest city in the world, New York City. But maybe me mate up in the great white north might have something to say about that. But ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> please say hello to my mate and yours, Mr. Liam McGuire. How you doing, fella? How's she going, Polly? How's she going? Well... Have you got a couple hours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, uh, your state and uh, your city area is uh, taking quite a turn for the worse, eh, in the last couple of weeks? We like to be the best in a lot of things, but this is yeah. not what we want to be the best at right now. Well, I tell you what, as far as, you know, uh, Gov Cuomo here and the officials doing the best that they can, I mean, you know, fair play to them. I mean, uh, nobody, I mean, how does anybody prepare for anything like this? I mean... Obviously, there wasn't any <laughs> preparation, obviously, on the on the uh, the top government level here and, uh, you know, whatever it is. But here we are, man. And uh, I don't know, pal. It, you know, my heart goes out to everybody. I thank God, I'm sure, yourself too. And, and hopefully uh, all of our loved ones and friends and family, our inner circles are, are doing okay. And, and so far up here, uh, we're doing okay. My wife's uncle, unfortunately, is in the hospital. He's got pneumonia, so we're a little scared for him. But we're yeah. all trying to stay uh, safe and healthy and you know, we're doing the mundane things here and just in creating a, um, you know, a schedule for the day for the kids and everything else. But, um, man, just uh, heart goes out to everybody that's out there affected, our people on the front lines, the hospital and stuff. But, man, it just doesn't seem like there's any end in sight uh, anytime soon. No. So I know we're a, a hockey show turning into a storytelling show and a, uh, an Irish music show, which is fine. That's what we wanted to be anyway. But man, as far as what's important in life right now, Liam, man, it's um, it's a long way out here, and I think everybody's got to have a lot of patience. Yeah, well, certainly as we roll these out on Thursdays, typically uh, our our intros have become a bit of a broken record because, if anything, I mean the numbers go up daily, and and uh, uh, different parts of the world are are certainly seeing it as just absolute and utter devastation in some cases when you look at Italy and Spain and and a few other spaces not the least of which now as as we've just discussed here in the opening about what's going on right in your backyard so so it's um it's scary uh, we're still looking at numbers that in some instances are you know still really just on par with what you would see on any given year or or you know in any in in a lot of countries anyway in the commonwealth just numbers that you would normally see for for deaths from for whatever reason, and but we have to be reflective of this strain of flu that has come onto our landscape and uh, and is certainly preying on largely, not exclusively, but largely the elderly. And I have an 89 year old mother, and we talked about your folks, and uh, and and uh, you know they have to be concerned about anybody who's got any pre predetermined health issues, especially respiratory. And I have some friends with that who are gravely, you know, concerned uh, about possibly contracting it and what it might mean for them. You know, if, if uh, this, this would not be like a normal cold or a normal flu, this particular strain could potentially be maybe even death, you know, for, 
someone in the prime of their life with uh, with their particular respiratory illnesses. So it's a different time, amen. And uh, just before we started taping here, talking about um, just about the you know the everyday needs in life as we go day becomes a week becomes two becomes three is going to be a month we're into a new month here uh now we're, we'll soon be 30 days in when things have been shut down in the world and in your various communities and everywhere you go it's a ghost town if you do have to go anywhere and you do have to go out you got to get groceries my as i discussed last week my vehicle broke down i had to get to a garage and back and deal with that and uh, you know different things you go into Polly you know there's provisions are being put up on our grocery stores have installed uh, uh, plexiglass uh, in front of the cashiers and you know or you have to stand back you know there's X marks of spots so you're keeping physical distancing and everybody's doing what they can but but there's still there's still interaction you know and uh, so it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you just said it. I, I don't know where, where the worm will turn on this and, and we'll actually be able to say, okay, I guess maybe when there's finally leveling, leveling off of the numbers affected and, and, uh, and, and sadly the, the, um, or in this case, uh, for a good reason, the number of deaths will have, will have stopped, you know, I guess until then, what, what are our options other than to continue doing what we're doing? I think ultimately, Liam, until there's a vaccine, because as far as general mass population and, and people getting back out into doing just anything, whether it's, you know, having a barbecue together over, you know, going to a, a hockey game in a stadium or a concert or anything, you know, it's just you, they're going to have to come up with a vaccine. I mean, that is ultimately, to me personally, the only thing that, that even makes people consider getting back into a normal life. That's the thing that they got to come up with. I mean, uh, granted, it's like I said, there's the, the numbers are the numbers. And as far as, you know, populations and go and everything else, and, you know, hopefully, yes, it will it will flatten the curve and everybody's adjusting and humankind as a, as a species here will eventually, you know, get its act together and do that and bring it down. But I think ultimately we are desperately counting on the science and uh, the people who know how to do this stuff. It's like anything. It's like what they did with HIV and AIDS. It's the flu. It's pandemics in the past. A vaccine, to me, is the only thing that's going to give everybody the confidence to get back outside and do stuff. And, you know, the health thing is one thing, everybody doing all that other stuff. The other thing me and you were talking about, too, is is the financial situation for people and, and, and jobs, the longer this thing goes. And I think that's, that's, that's the scary thing for me, you know, reports that, you know, uh, gun purchases in the States <laughs> – up to two million, the highest ever. You know, when you start all the little stuff from small businesses to corporations to where you know they talk about us getting back out and all that other stuff. But just a little, a little more on this here, just real quick before we get into the show here stuff. You know, for me personally, in the crowd business, music, entertainment, and I know yourself too as a as an MT and a speaker and all that other stuff. I mean, we're both in the crowd business, and obviously, as far as sports and entertainment it's it's the crowd business you know but the the longer this goes on you know people talk about how we're all going to come out and get back into you know we might not know a lot of people might not have any money left that's that's the kind of scary thing i look i am you know me and you liam and anybody listening we're not here to 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 cause doom and, and gloom we're positive upbeat people i think more than anything for me it's just a question for me 
you know, you can get past the the social distancing and you can you, everybody can kind of work together and, and do their part and everything else. But as the months, if this continues, because I have a question for myself personally, as a, as a you know, I, I have my own small business. I'm self-employed. So right now, you know, whatever savings I have is going to, you know, have in. And, and luckily, me and my wife combined, we're going to be okay. But down the road... I don't see any foreseeable income coming from me if I'm in the crowd business or I'm in the service business. So that's just me. Now take everybody else. You know, restaurants, businesses. They were, there was a report the other day as far as hockey's concerned. Some of the AH, all the minor league baseball teams and minor league hockey teams might have to shut down their businesses for good because they don't have that, that ability to, to recoup. So, you know, and the only way, you know, it's, it's the difference between Liam – you know, staying informed every day, watching the reports, and then getting, you know, either you're going to get anxious or mad. Don't even talk about my anger because I'm so upset for my kids right now. The things they're missing out on. That's one thing. Yeah. But because yep. um, we never have to go through this crap as kids. And but the uncertainty of these are questions that the people in charge are going to have to start answering for us. And I don't think they have the answers right now because I know it's quick. It's a month. Two months, but man, if they don't get some answers and the financial stuff uh, figured out for us uh, down the road, I think that's when you get worried about people, you know, getting into doing maybe not the smartest psychiatric things out there because desperate people will do desperate things. And so beyond the health aspects of everything, I think that to me is that thing down the road where the unknown is is What's going to happen when the money runs out? And if if they do get a vaccine in six months to a year, like they're talking about, where the heck is everybody going to be? Everybody going to be at that point? Well, you raise a couple of good points, and I think the the short term here, and especially with the the package that I I think you're that I've if I've read or heard correctly that uh, the United States are getting ready to roll out for economic help, and I know in Canada. Uh, we have something similar that's, I believe, supposed to kick in four days from now, and people have been invited to go online and and apply and do different things. So I'm largely self, I am self-employed also, and I work in crowds also. Uh, you and I have discussed this many times. We have a lot of similarities in how we've tried to carve out a living in the last number of years, and and that's a big part of what I do. I don't know what that's, you know, I don't know what my landscape's going to look like going forward. I can tell you that. Uh, Liam McGuire's the restaurant and has my name on it, which I do not own, but I have a business relationship and I am supposed to receive a monthly stipend, which has since been postponed places not open. Now, you know, could I get down and roll around in the hay with the owner and say, well, my name's on it. You know, uh, I think you should pay me. I, I mean, legally, I don't know. I mean, I, I can tell you one thing when we made the deal 17 years ago, we never, we never had any provisions for a pandemic. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, there wasn't any talk about that in 2003 when we opened up Liam McGuire's. But I can tell you something else, though, Polly. On this show, this very show, you and I, as we've been crafting it out here for for not that all lot long. I know at one point, you know, at different times we've talked about Don Cherry, and at different times we've talked about Bill Cowley of the Boston Bruins and his son Dan Cowley owns the local Don Cherries here in Ottawa. And last night it was announced publicly on the local Ottawa social media, social media sites that 
uh, he is now closed permanently. Uh, he already, in this short time period, has incurred losses, and uh, the infrastructure of such as it is, how he is set up, is not going to allow him to reopen, even if uh, you know, even if they were to sooner rather than later come to some sort of a solution here for us all globally. He is done, and that's the first economic loss here uh, in our little community of, well, I say our little community, we're the capital of Canada, we're a million people, but I mean, you know, in Ottawa Hall or the region of Ottawa Carlton, but still, that's a, that was a major blow to read that. Uh, so many, Dan's a personal friend, his wife, his family, and the number of employees that I've known personally that have worked there, uh, the number of events I have spoken at there, and that is now closed as of last night. So what next? You know, 30 days from now. I think we're okay. 60 days from now, are we still okay? What about 90 days from now? Like where uh, there isn't going to be a vaccine for the foreseeable future. So if this is how we're supposed to live, what, I don't know, man. I, no one has any answers, let's be honest. Nobody does. Nobody does. Nobody does. That's absolutely correct. Nobody has the answers. And we need some people, I think some very smart people and some very rich people out there need to maybe get a coalition together and start figuring this thing out for us because, you know, rich people aren't going to be rich if, uh, you know, the lessers don't have any money to spend their money. So I don't know. But anyway, don't want to get doom and gloom, but that is the that is the big question, I think, uh, for everybody just going down the road is, and I think that's going to be the uh, the measure of sanity for people because, um, and especially, you know, all of us, like I said, have family members and kids and that's all of us, so... It affects everyone. But anyway, we'll start try and stay positive and hopefully, um, like I said, the people who know what they're doing out there, the most important people will figure this out and give us an answer. As we know, buddy, and you're a big history guy and I'm a big history buff myself, this world, this planet, our countries have been through just as bad or if, if not worse, it's just kind of a different, it's, it's modern times, but hopefully humanity will prevail here and we'll figure it out. What do you say, pal? Drink to that. Well, it was 101 years ago. You know, 101 years ago, Spanish influenza shut the world. It killed millions. This is the difference is they didn't have the medical knowledge then. Canceled not only the Stanley Cup, but it had, you know, global impact with millions dying just at, towards the conclusion of the First World War and right through the first year after. As I told you before, uh, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, was administered last rites not once but twice as a 33-year-old man, wasn't married yet. And, you know, I mean... Who there's no one around, Polly, who can talk about that, right? I mean, if there is people in the world that are older than 101, there's probably maybe 25 of them at the most, and they probably aren't talking with a lot of memories about how it was like. So this is all brand new for us, and you talked about your children. Mine are a little older, but it doesn't matter because no, we're going doesn't. through this uh, globally and together. It's, it and sucks I, it's, as equally for them, too. I mean, yeah. just little things that we took for granted as kids, hanging out with your buddies, going out and causing trouble, having a few pints, Looking for love, all that stuff right now is, you know, like I, I don't, I, like I said, that's where I'm, I get really angry. Yeah, I start thinking yeah. about what our kids are, are missing out on, and they shouldn't have to be going through this. But anyway, we leave it there for now. Yep, we we'll leave right. it there for now. And I was just thinking, you know, are we gonna might have to get Seamus to to redo our opening with that great music and his great intro because he says, and the games will be on soon. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to make sure Seamus keeps that in. That's got, that's got to be hopeful. He says he'll be on soon. Keep your fingers crossed, mate. All right. Oh, man. All we right. might have to get into watching, uh, you know, uh, ESPN uh, 
you know, EA Sports watching people play video games. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Liam, who's the top scorer in Nebraska here on EA Sports? <laughs> Too much. Yeah, I All know. All right, buddy. Well, let's do some hockey history. What do you All got right. for us today, pal? Okay, well, uh, you know, I try and trying to bring some stories here for the people who have hung in with us uh, week to week and appreciate anybody and everybody who's made a comment on it. Before we get into another fantastic Irish song to finish up, Polly, you know, I can't wait to discuss that and crack this whiskey as it sits here in front of me. Maybe I'll even sip on it while I'm talk- talking. <laughs> oh, I know but- you. You can't wait that long. <laughs> I got mine going, buddy. Let's be honest, I'm not waiting. <laughs> Who's kidding who? Oh, my roommate the other day started drinking a quarter to nine in the morning. That's <laughs> you bastard. Don't be starting before me. Oh, but man. uh yeah, you know, he's only working a couple shifts a week. I mean, work's been cut right back for him. He's lucky he still has a couple shifts a week right now. But anyway, I thought today, Polly, as we uh do our little hockey history, I was saying I've given you a couple options, some different things. I've got so many different things. So one of the things in NHL history, obviously, is that there's always a guy, in this case, it's been Wayne Gretzky since 1994, who is the career goal-scoring leader. Now, Wayne wasn't always the career goal-scoring leader. He took the mantle from Gordie Howe. And Gordie Howe wasn't always a career goal-scoring leader. He took it from Maurice the Rocket Richard. And Richard took it from Nell Stewart. And before Nell Stewart, it was sort of a ping pong game, if you will, because the NHL started 1917-18 and that first uh, year of the NHL, Joe Malone led the league in scoring with 44 goals. So he was the leader that, you know, he was passed by side identity and then and then Malone took it back from him and then Denity passed him again and then Howie Morenz. Uh, took became the the career goal scoring leader when when he retired with 271 goals and then Nell Stewart on February 16, 1937 scored career goal number 272 and took over the career lead from Howie Moran. So what I thought, Paulie, today and this is a short one. I say that now. <laughs> you know me <laughs> when I get going. But <laughs> hey, can so, I ask a quick question before you rip into this? Yeah. When when did the NHL actually start recording stats? Right out of the gate. They did. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They okay. had goals. They just didn't have any assists that first oh, year. Okay. Assists, assists right. weren't tracked that first season. But goal goaltenders averages and obviously ones and wins and losses and and your goals as an individual. There was no trophies, but you you knew you knew how many goals somebody had. That was tracked. So there was a there was a league statistician, but his job was pretty simple. It was really <laughs> mostly just, just team stuff. But you kept you kept track of goals. That was in seventeen eighteen, in eighteen nineteen, they added assists. But you know there was even a period for a couple of years in the early twenties when they gave out three assists on a goal. They you know and they quickly realized, okay, that's ridiculous. First of all, no one can track it that far back to find you know to even to know there was a third assist. And then secondly, they just thought it was too much. So they reduced it to two and it's been two ever since. But he had a couple of anomalies that way. And of course, from the goaltending point of view as, as well, just the rules. The rules were different. Not that that changed the fact that you, if you scored a goal, you got a point. Once they started tracking assists, if you got assists, you got a point. 
You got a goal and an assist in a game. You got two points. Penalties at one point. You know, minors were 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 uh, three minutes. You had a three-minute penalty for a couple of years. Um, majors at different times used to be recorded as a five-minute major or a 10-minute major. If you got a match, you didn't always, you didn't for years, if you got a match penalty for a 10th injure, there was no penalty minutes assessed with that. Wow. So these players that were getting penalized, as many of them were in the early days of hockey, for and, and were and ultimately either suspended or, or uh, fined for their actions on the ice, we're not given additional penalties to their minutes in their statistics. Whereas now, if you get a match penalty for attempt injury, it's another 10 minutes on top of your game misconduct or your misconduct or your major or whatever, your stick foul or, or your on-ice foul. So there's been some differences over time, Polly. But at the end of the day, goals and since the second year of the NHL assists, they've always been counted as such. Okay. So Good to know. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, you probably knew some of it, but maybe, and most people probably knew some of it, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, as I said today, it's uh, it's one of those ones where a guy like me can can delve into these nights in question where these fantastic men set the records at the time and became the career scoring leaders, the career goal scoring leaders in the NHL. So that's what I was going to do for you right now today was take you from Nell Stewart to Rocket Richard to Gordie Howe, and to Wayne Gretzky. And at least for the people who maybe aren't as familiar with some of the names that I'll start off with here from, from that uh, fateful, not, not a fateful night, but a great night for Nell Stewart on in 1937, that, um, you know, by the time we get to Gretzky, uh, which his goal was assisted by Marty McSorley and Luke Robitaille, that those are names that a lot of people listening today would know. Let's be honest, right? So, so uh, without further ado, are we good to go? Yeah. And and okay. by the way, McSorley and Robitaille, they were great Rangers and Gretzky. <laughs> oh, you see, see everything isn't ultimately so comes through all, New York. All three of them ended up in a blue shirt. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, it's true, man. It's true. There's a lot of people, obviously, that have. Uh, and one time, you know, we should talk about how New York got screwed out of a couple of Stanley Cups. I was thinking about that as a story for, you know, I mean, I don't know how many of your brethren there in the New York area with, are, are listening to, to this podcast because you're doing it. But New Yorkers should know that um, they should have had a couple of Stanley Cups between 1940 and 1994. They got they got summarily screwed, not only just by the league, but by, uh, by their own doing, unfortunately, because of the circus and they had to play games out of town. But those stories should be documented a little bit more than just on Google when you've got a podcast and we've got no live games to talk about. I wouldn't mind uh, telling some of your fellow New Yorkers about that. But Hey, buddy. Hey, look. Islanders and Rangers, anytime. We're all hungry for it over here. So <laughs> Okay. Well, you, you know what? Together. Let's make a point of that. Let's next, do it. Uh, one, of the, one of the next, maybe even next week or one of the upcoming weeks, let's talk about that because – um, to me, the most glaring is 1950, and, and I, I'd love to talk about that next week. So if you want to file that away, uh, we, we certainly will. And there's, there's a couple of, couple of neat things that happened in, in, in and around that, uh, that Stanley Cup playoff run that New York was front and center, and the New York Rangers, that is. And I'd love to, uh, I'd love to talk about that. So uh, if you want to file that away, brother, that'll be um, part of the uh, topic for, for next week. You can't break our hearts anymore than they've been broken. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the Irish, right? 
<laughs> All right, well, listen. Because, All right, buddy. Uh, we're going to get go. going on this. So, here we I'm ready for you, you buddy. Yep, I'm All ready. Right. All right. So, Nell Stewart on this day became the the uh, all-time goal-scoring leader in the NHL. He took the, he took the mantle from, from Howie Morenz, the late, great Howie Morenz. Well, these guys are all late and great now. There's nobody alive. But, but I mean, on, it was February 16th, 1937, and uh, Nell Stewart at this time, who started his NHL career as a Montreal Maroon and won a Stanley Cup with them in 1926, bounced around. And at this particular time, he was playing for a team out of New York City called the New York Americans. Everything comes back to New York with you. eh? (laughs) So he's playing with the New York Americans. They lose 2-1 to the Montreal Canadiens. And I I just wanted to say a couple things, Paulie, about that. That um, on the Montreal Canadiens was a man named Arul Joliet. And he was Howie Morenz's former line mate and uh, teammate and very close friend. And Howie Morenz, as some people may be aware, died in 1937. He had a, an embolism after a badly broken leg. Um, it was a blood clot and it, it, it attacked his heart and killed him on March 8th, 1937, after his leg was badly broken on the ice January 28th, 1937. Anyway, digress. Rose Joliet, the story went for years, for years, that he would never talk about Howie Morenz, and he would certainly never sign a photograph of himself with Howie Morenz. So here in this game, Nell Stewart scores career goal, 272, passes uh, passes um, um, Howie Morenz, and goes on to record 324 goals. Now in that game, Arul Joliet assists the game-winning goal. Okay, this is just a regular season game. So the okay. game unto itself is... Nothing special other than Stewart passes Morenz for the all-time mark. And when he retires three years later, he holds it with 324 goals. But I wanted to digress and just say two things. Number one, drawing the first assist on Nell Stewart, historic goal. Goal number 272 to set the record was Joe Lamb, whose brother I was in the lodge with in, and, and, the, and had the scrapbook with the Art Ross, Frank Patrick picture, picture of the first ever handshake in hockey. Yeah. So yeah. it's Joe, Joe Lamb who assisted wow. um, Nell Stewart goal. So I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, this is a little bit personal to me, obviously, but I mean, because I sat there in 1980 with Joe's brother and he told me that story, I, I always found it kind of neat that he assisted Nell Stewart goal. And the second thing from that night, Paulie, that I wanted to say is that a rules Joliet, as I said, he got an assist on the winning goal scored by Johnny Gagnon in that game. And I met a rules Joliet, and I told you before, I used to drink with a rules Joliet in the mid-1980s at a, at a hotel, it's a bar, called the old hotel, the Prescott Hotel on Preston Street in Ottawa, opened in 1934. And I used to drink in there, I still do, when it's open, when it opens again, God willing, I'll be back in there. We bought quarts. Do you know what a quart of beer is, Polly? Do I know what a quarter beer is? Yeah. In, in price, in size, in volume? Yeah. In- <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of answers I could give you, buddy. <laughs> All right. So you're familiar with the term quarter beer. I don't know how far it's uh, it's translated, right? But you see, in, in back in the day, uh, the quarter beer um, was, they, they called it a quart, but it was 22 ounces, 22, not imperial ounces, but 22 I guess liquid ounces, however you would call it. And the quart today that we have today is 26 ounces. Anyway, long story short, 
I used to drink at the Prescott with a real Joliet who assisted this goal, the winning goal in the game where Nell Stewart got career goal 272. Wow. And I said to him, as I sat with him week after week at the Prescott, we ran into him quite a few times after I got to know him and I talk hockey about the 30s and the 20s and, and Howie Morenz. I thought, I said, my God, it's 50 years later. Surely to God, he'll sign a picture now with Howie in it. So I had this black and white photo at home and I brought it in to the Prescott Hotel on this Friday afternoon, which was an old tavern type hotel with the little sort of linoleum um, uh, tables and the the little wooden chairs around them. And there was rarely, if ever, any women in there. Women were only allowed on that side in 1978 in this particular place. So you hardly ever saw just, you know, the, the room just filled with smoke, with three quarters of the guys smoking. It was like a, a cloud inside the bar. And the waiters um, scurrying up and down the aisles with the change the change maker on their belt, you know, so okay. they could make the change, the dimes and the nickels and the quarters and throw it on. You could get a quart for about $5.80. And you'd sit there and you'd drink four, five, six or seven of them or whatever. And and you'd have some some pizza, some square pizza. And it was famous. The place is famous for its meatball subs. And a Roll Joliet would sit there and he would hold you'd hold court and he would talk about anything. And I said, you know, I said, um, Mr. Joliet, you know, you 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 assisted Johnny Daniels game winning goal. You know, when Nell Stewart got uh, got past Howie for the career goals. And, and he went, yeah, I could tell he wasn't really happy about that. You know, and I said, well, Nell Stewart, he was a hell of a hockey player. Eh? And I said, uh, he says he was a. Uh, and I can't, well, I guess I could say it, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> Use, the him, Use the initials. Use the initials. <laughs> he called him a, an F and this and an F and that. And I was really, really taken back by it. I said, you know what his nickname was? And I said, yeah, yeah, his, nick, his nickname was Old Poison. And I said, do you know how we got that nickname? I said, no, because he used to chew tobacco all the time. And when he was standing next to you, the face-off circle, he'd spit it in your face. Oh. He'd, he'd, he'd get he'd just or on your on your sweater on your jersey. He just let it go. Just let a hunk of, of chewing tobacco go. So they called him Old Poison. He said I hated his guts. And he said, um, if you ever want to look a uh, look up an interesting story, he said look up the um, NHL awards at 1950. I they asked me to be a head table guest, and I was. You know who else was there? I said no. He said Nell Stewart. And this was uh, over 10 years after uh, him and I had both retired. And we're sitting at the head table in New York, I believe it was actually, Paulie, in 1950, the NHL Awards. And he said, I was sitting about four guys down from Stewart. And he started talking to me. And I said, shut up. I didn't want to hear you on the ice. And I don't want to hear you 12 years later. So shut up. <laughs> and, and Stewart said, why don't you just F off? And he said, yeah. And so I just got up and went over there. I said, I should have done this about 50 more times when we were playing. And I just drilled him. Right on the stage, right on the stage. Uh, Earl Joliet and Nell Stewart were going out at 1950. That's awesome. <laughs> During the NHL Awards. <laughs> How do you beat that story? So I said to him, I said, uh, Howie, um, I've got a picture here, you know, and I pulled it out. And, you know, meanwhile, Howie's holding court. Or not Howie, uh, Earl, Earl Joliet. He's holding court. I said, Earl, I got a picture here. And I pulled it out, and it was one of him and, and Howie, and they got their arms around each other. It's a fairly famous shot if you Google it back in the day. And and he's and he it just the whole table went quiet, right? They're all older guys. I was like 25, 
and and uh, he's looking at it, and he looks up at me, and he looks back down at it, and I look around the table, and the guys are going, oh, oh, uh oh, and then he looks back up at me, Polly, and I swear to God, he could see the tears in his eyes. Okay, this is in 1985. 1985. This is 48 years later after Howie passed away. And he looked up at me in the, 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 the din, the noise, as you know, those places, you can hear the noise inside the place, uh, the, the, everything that's going on inside this old hotel. There's about 120 men in there at the time. And he just looked up at me and he said, young fella, I can't sign this. And he handed it back to me. And, and he finished his drink and he got up and he walked out Oh wow! and, uh, I was, I was devastated. I said, Jesus, like I thought, I thought for sure by now. And I said to the guys and they said, Oh, Liam, you didn't know, you didn't know. He's never been able to sign anything with how he on it. He'll never be able to. And I said, well, where's he going? And, and he says, Oh, he's going to walk home. That's how he doesn't, he never drinks and drives. I don't even think he had a driver's license anymore. And he would walk like the eight or nine blocks home. So I went out and I got in my car and I raced down Preston Street and I found him walking and I pulled over and I rolled down my window. I said, Mr. Joliet, get in, get in. I'll drive you home. I'll drive you home. And he just he waved me off. He said, no, it's all good, kid. This is how I clear my head after I have a few quarts. I'm going to walk it off. And I said, I'm so sorry about the photo. And he just said, don't worry about it. And you know something, Polly, I, I never saw him again. Wow. <laughs> I, ne I never saw him again. The, the, uh, you know, he, we just didn't have a chance to meet again at the, uh, the next time I saw him, he was on TV uh, about three months, four months later, I believe it was February of 86. The Montreal Canadians introduced their all time dream team at center rice and everybody was still alive and they had Jacques Plant and they had Toe Blake and they had Doug Harvey and they had rocket Richard and they had Guy Lafleur and they had Jean Beliveau. And they brought out a Rule Joliet to represent those early days of the Habs. And he came out in his gear. He had his gear on. He had his, like, they found equipment for him. And they had his old sweater, number four. And he had his old black peak hat on. And if anybody listening might remember the, t the clip, you can find it on YouTube. It's a little bit sad, but it's kind of funny because he didn't care. But I can tell you that that night, he, when he was introduced, he came out and everybody put a puck down and had to go in and take a shot on Jacques Plant which he did, and then he, he inevitably, he fell over the red carpet. He fell, got right back up, kept skating around. Here's the best part. They couldn't get him off the ice. Oh, wow. They, they couldn't get him off the ice. When everybody else cleared the ice, he stayed out there. So now the Canadians have come out, and I think they were playing the Sabres that night, and they came out, and they're taking part of warm-up, and Joliet lines up in the left-wing position. <laughs> And he start, he's taking the warm-up. He's doing the line rushes. They're passing the puck. He's going in. He's passing the puck back. And when he got it back in the return, he'd take a shot on net. <laughs> and he was 800 years old. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it was crazy. So that was, I just want to sort of a, give you a little bit of a sidebar story. That's great stuff, man. February 16th, 1937, when Nell Stewart became the all-time career goal-scoring leader. And he ended up in his career with goal 324. And November 8th, 1952, Rocket Richard passed Nell Stewart. And just two things about that night is, number one, when Rocket Richard started playing in the NHL, he scored his first ever goal on November 8th, 1942. Ten years later to the day, he scored career goal number 325, passing the aforementioned 
Nell Stewart on the exact same date, 10 years to the day of his first goal. And the only other thing to, that's neat about that night is Jerry McNeil was a was the Montreal Canadian goalie in the early 50s. He took over for Bill Dernan in 50, officially in the 1950 playoffs, uh, which they lost to the Rangers. We'll talk about that next week. And then, uh, and then, but he was hurt that night. So the Canadians had to call a guy who was playing senior for the Montreal Royals by name of Hal Murphy. And he came in that night and, you know, he wasn't an NHL goalie. He was playing, you know, several leagues below Quebec Senior Hockey League. And he played that night. The Canadians won the game 6-4. And the Rockets scored career goal 325. And that's the only game Hal Murphy ever played in his NHL career. That night, November 8-52, happens to be the game where Rocket gets 325. <laughs> and then, of course, Rocket set the record and went on to finish and retire in 1960 with career goals totaling 544. And that record stood for 11 years till it was passed by Gordy Howe. And Gordy Howe passed it almost to the day. It was November 10th, 1963. So 11 years and, and two days later, Gordy Howe passes Rocket Richard. Now, what are the details on Gordy doing it? A couple of neat anecdotes there. Number one, he did it against the Montreal Canadiens. So he did it against the Rockets' old team. That's number. That's the first thing. The second thing. Gordy's goal, which now was career goal number 545, because the Rocket retired with 544. So Gordy's goal was scored shorthanded. So that's kind of a neat thing. Okay, so it was a shorthanded goal in the second period. And the player who drew the assist on the goal, there was only one assist on the goal, was an Edmonton native by the name of Billy McNeil. And Billy McNeil had several call-ups with Detroit that season, which was the 63-64 NHL season. And his several call-ups totaled 15 games. And in those 15 games, he recorded one assist and one only. And it came on one of the biggest, most impactful goals in NHL history because it was career goal number 545 for Gordie Howe. The only assist Billy McNeil got that year. In the NHL. Did they ever give him a silver stick for that? Never gave him a silver <laughs> stick, but I think they took him to the Prescott Hotel and bought him all the quarts he could drink. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, Gordy scored the goal shorthanded. In the box for Detroit, serving a penalty, was the first player ever in the NHL from the province of Newfoundland, Canada. And his name was Alex Faulkner. F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R. It was his first, the first ever Newfie to play in the NHL. Now, Faulkner was serving the penalty. You know what it was, Polly? He wasn't serving a minor. He was serving a major. Five minutes for high-sticking. High-sticking major that he got by giving Ralph Backstrom of the Montreal Canadiens, who wore sweater number six, a high stick. So he was assessed a major. Guess what, Polly? That was the only major of Alex Faulkner's NHL career. <laughs> He never had another five-minute penalty. He never had a fight. That was the only major he ever got. How many years in his NHL career? And he got it. And he's in the box when Gordy beats the Rockets' record and scores 545. So you got Billy McNeil gets his only assist of the year. Alex Faulkner serves the only major penalty of his NHL career. And the last thing is Terry Sawchuck, very famous name, known by many people in hockey. Records the shutout 
has Detroit beats the Montreal Canadiens 3-0 in this regular season game early in the year of a season of 63-64. It is career shutout 94 for Terry Sawchuk, tying him for the all-time NHL lead with George Hainsworth with 94 career shutouts. Of course, Sawchuk went on to record 103, and that number now, the record is held by Marty Broder with 120. So there you go. That's Gordie Howe breaking Rocket Richard's record on November 10th, 1963. And Liam, how many many years did McNeil play? You said he only had one major. No, Faulkner. Faulkner had one major. Faulkner. So he played... He played, he played uh, parts of about four seasons okay. in the NHL. He played about 80, 90 games, maybe, maybe about 100 games. But, you know, you know, the unbelievable thing is the Red Wings lost in the Stanley Cup Finals the season before, 62-63, right? They lost to Toronto in the finals. And Alex Faulkner was a scoring machine. I mean, he, he was unbelievable. He played eight games in the playoffs for Detroit that year. In 63 in the playoffs, Alex Faulkner... And he scored five goals. Like, went unbelievable. Un- unbelievable how well he played. That earned him, that earned him a roster spot in, in, the, in the following season, 63-64. And I've talked to him on the phone. And he absolutely is so pissed off that he was assessed that major. He says, <laughs> I didn't deserve it. I, I, you know, he, he was he's a, he's a modicum of clean play in an era when it was not really yeah. well known. You know I mean? Like the '60s was the start of really gong show hockey to, to some degree. Like Howie Young on Detroit, he set a record with 273 penalty minutes. That stood for till Dave Schultz broke it, or well, I guess Keith Magnuson first, first, and then Dave Schultz. But anyway, yeah, I mean, uh, it's not like Bachner played 10 years or anything. But gotcha. I mean, the still, he played a lot, man. He, yeah, you know, Back he never got another major, and he didn't just play that game and. Billy McNeil didn't get another assist that year, and that wasn't the only game he played. You know, he played 15 games and didn't get another assist. Are you kidding me? The only assist he gets is on goal 545. The only major of Faulkner's career is when Gordy scores 545. Uh, Sawchuk ties the record when Gordy scores 545, and they do it against the Rockets' old team. And it's almost on the exact same anniversary, November 8th, November 10th, 11 years apart. I, you know, I, you can't, like, you can't make that stuff up. And then... Uh, just to finish off on that record stood, as everybody knows now, we're getting a little bit closer to modern day. <laughs> we're still back to 1994, <laughs> but I've touched on this. I think I may have touched on this with you before. So, But when Wayne Gretzky passed Gordie Howe, so Gordie Howe retires from the NHL in, in 1980, and his last regular season goal, Paulie, was scored April 6, 1980. He's now with the Hartford Whalers. He's a 52-year-old grandfather. He scores against his old team, the Detroit Red Wings. They win the game 5-4. It's career goal 8-0-2. The goaltender was Rogie Vachon. Just got to give you a quick aside on this one. Last goalie that scored. Go ahead. Yeah, Rogie. You remember Rogie, eh? Oh, yeah. So everybody remembers Rogie. And and, uh, so Gordy's last goal, regular season goal, scored against Rogie Vachon. Two weeks earlier, Bobby Hull scored his last regular season goal ever against goaltender Rogie Vachon, and two years before that, Bobby Orr scored his last regular season goal ever against Rogie Vachon. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Gordie Howe, Bobby Hull, and Bobby Orr, two years apart, 
all scored their last regular season goals against Rogi Vasho. That's insane. Anyway, I digress, as I often do. <laughs> so, Gordy gets on April 6, 1980. And that record stands until 1994, as the Vancouver Canucks are playing the Los Angeles Kings in L.A., and Wayne Gretzky scores 802. And he scores it in the second period at the 14-minute, 47-second mark. And as we discussed earlier, guys who would later become New York Rangers, <laughs> Marty McSorley, <laughs> along with Wayne, Marty McSorley and Luke Robitaille. By the way, if you haven't seen the highlight of that goal in some time, people will probably forget how good a pass Marty McSorley made on that play. Yeah. It was a phenomenal pass back <laughs> against the green. And Wayne basically had an empty net and scores it on Kirk McLean. But here's the neat thing, Polly, about that. That goal was a power play goal, okay? So in the box for the Vancouver Canucks was a player named Yuri Slager, S-L-E-G-R. Now, Yuri Slager's father played in the NHL, and his name was Yuri Bubla. Now you're saying, well, hold on a sec, Leo. How does he not have the same name as dad? Well, because Yuri Bubla, when he, and they, these were these were Czech-born guys. So when Bubla retired from hockey and went back overseas and then was out of the game altogether, he unfortunately decided to get involved in a different type of career that was on the other side of the ice, shall we say, and got involved in some um, some drugs and, uh, and, and got arrested and had to go to jail. And uh, Yuri... Bubla Jr. did not want to be associated with his dad by name because he had the same first name. So he took his mom's maiden name and he became Yuri Slager. And he's in the box when Wayne scores career goal 802. Now hold on, gets better. So Yuri Bubla, his dad, also played for the Vancouver Canucks. And Yuri Bubla, his dad, also played against Wayne Gretzky. And the first game ever that Yuri Bubla played against Wayne Gretzky in October of 1981, they threw punches and punched each other in the head. And they got roughing minors and got sent to the box in the first game ever that they played against each other in October of 1981. And nearly 13 years later, Bubla's son is in the penalty box when Wayne scores career goal 802. I don't know what I mean. More shocked about that or the fact that Wayne dropped the gloves. <laughs> yeah, he didn't actually drop the gloves in this one. He did He did have three fighting majors in his NHL career. This was not one of them, but they drilled each other in the head with the gloves on. Bubla wasn't taking any crap from Wayne. Wayne had played his first year in the NHL, 79-80, 137 points. This particular season, he was en route to 164 and Bubla came in as an older rookie. He was one of the, you know, the East Block rookies that were starting to permeate pro hockey and really had been since, uh, you know, since Ned Amansky came to the WHA uh, about six years before that. This was in the NHL, however, and got to give Bubla credit. He came and had a bit of an impact on New York and, and, and carved out a, a little bit, albeit brief, but a little bit of a career. And the first time him and Wayne ever hooked up, they, they went at it, didn't get fighting majors. And then 13 years later, Bubla's son's in the box when Wayne scores 802. And, and of course, doesn't have the same name yet. They changed it because of the drug uh, issues back home on the home front. 
And I, I think it's kind of a neat anecdote as well. So there you go, buddy. From Nell Stewart on February 16th, 1937 to Wayne Gretzky on... Uh, on March 23rd, 1994, I uh, tried to give you a, a little bit of the story for uh, for today during the global pandemic. <laughs> awesome stuff, brother. I don't know. I'm, I'm sitting here just I'm figuring out how did you invest? How did you find out about what's his face in the freaking penalty box, man? Yuri, it's like <laughs> who even looks for that information? <laughs> I know. I know. I know it's uh I know it's different. Uh, it's different. You know, I, 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 I delve into things, but obviously over time, um, I remember being in Fort McMurray when I, uh, when I, I told Wayne's agent that when we did the gig together there about six, seven years ago in Fort McMurray and we were at the big dinner hall after, and I was telling them that story and they couldn't believe it. And I said, Oh yeah, that's, and I showed them, I looked it up on, I got the, uh, uh, you know, the phones going and I said, here it is. Here's a roughing miners, him and Bubla got in the second period, October, I believe it was October 9th. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was early in the season. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. And then in the limo back after he told Wayne, I told Wayne and he said, he said, yeah, I remember Bubla. And, uh, I said, well, you know, Slager was in the box. He says, yeah, shit, Liam, I, I had no idea. I didn't put that connection together. <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one at you here just for a goof before we head into the uh, the song here to wrap things up. Yeah. Um, I don't have it off the top of my head, and I'm sure a lot of people know this. So give me give me Wayne's final goal tally, right? His his just I just I'm not gonna search it up. I know he should know it, but I don't. I'm I'm not gonna. Yeah, eight ninety four. Eight ninety four. Okay. What when? What was his last goal? And give me the uh, the guys that assisted on it, and who did he play against? Well, you know what, he played against the Islanders. Okay. Did you know? Is that why you're asking? No, me? no, I'm. I'm just. This is off the top of my head. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't looked. I just. I want to do this with you every now and again because I. I know you know all this stuff, so I'm just pulling this out of my butt right now. I'm going to ask you. Well, who was the last game? Last goal he scored, and who assisted him? You know what? I don't know the assists. Yes, I finally got you. I don't know the assists. It was career goal 894, and it was against the New York Islanders, and the goaltender was Wade Flattery. Do you remember him? I do. Yeah, it was Wade Flattery, and that was goal 894. So I guess, you know. Ah, you got some homework to do, buddy. I got some homework to do. I got some homework to do. I I probably at one point knew the assists, but because (laughs) – because nobody's passed Wayne yet, you know, and uh, there's only really one guy probably in our lifetime who's going to come close, and that'd be Ovi. Um, I haven't, uh, I haven't thought to really file all of the rest of the rest of the, you know, did you know stories with buddy, Wayne? You're miles so ahead you got of us me, anyway. pal. You yeah, got me, buddy. You're miles ahead. The fact that you knew who he scored against and who was in net—that's enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff, man. Oh, That's man. good stuff. Awesome stuff, brother. Love it. Thank you so much, man. That's good stuff. I can't wait for next week already. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, There you go. All right, pal. As we wrap up the Sticks and Tap shows now, we do a little uh, uh, toast and a little nod to the uh, Irish traditional music that we love and both of us have been raised on uh, as as kids and into our adult lives here and very much a part of it. And that's a, a big part of our show now, too. So Sticks and Tap, the Irish pub, the Irish heritage, the music and all that stuff. So, Leon. Liam, what do we got today? I do believe we're going back to the Clancy Brothers, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm, I think we might have to see if we can't get you a little bit of a promotional fee. 
<laughs> for, for the Clancy family and the Tommy Mayhem yeah. family. Makeham family, I should say. Uh, yeah. But uh, what do you got for us this week, buddy? Well, you know something, Paulie, uh, we've had a theme here, obviously, and you're right. And, and uh, with, with apologies to anybody who's waiting for us to expand our, our Irish uh, library. <laughs> Fans we of the Dubliners and the Wolf Tones are getting upset with us, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. And I don't blame on the I don't blame them. There's so much good music that's come from the Emerald Isle, and you would know that uh, as much or more than anybody. But I am so partial to them. And today we're going to do a song called Kelly, the Boy from Killan. And it's um it, it's and and the themes so far have, have have typically had some sort of rebel connotation to them and in this case here it's the rebellion of 1798. There's a couple of of prominent times in Irish history that the years just have such a significant connotation to. As soon as you say them, 1798 would be one of them. It was um, a fairly widespread rebe- rebellion. It was led largely by the Presbyterians and the Catholics who were upset with um, the the um, Anglicans and the British rule and they they sought to overthrow them and at different parts of the country there of course were uh, different battles that stood the test of time and as you would expect and it's been prevalent in Irish history for centuries uh, they have documented these these different battles and clashes and confrontations and uprisings with poetry and with music and the words if you will especially the last verse and I don't know how much of this one you want or can play today but John Kelly it's written about a man named John Kelly who was largely the I'll say so much the leader but he was one of as one of six or seven or eight leaders in the southern part of the country in County Wexford. That's an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous part of the country, uh, Paulie, as the whole country is, as you know, I found, I feel that way very strongly about it. But if you come out of, of, of Dublin itself and head due south along the sea, down through Dunleary, down through Wicklow, and, and you get into, into Wexford and it's such, it's a, uh, You've got the Leinster Mountain. You, you, you've got uh, you, you've got some beautiful rivers and 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 so so much great countryside. And John Kelly led the battles in and around Wexford and Roscommon and the towns. And they had they had multiple successes. They they had a lot of victories until they were finally overwhelmed by the sheer numbers of of the British, and they were captured. And they were taken to the Wexford Bridge, the leaders, and they were hung And in 1798. And he was a young man, 24, 25 years of age, as sadly so many of them have been in, in, uh, in the history of, of the battles. And in the mid-1800s, the, the first verses or the first songs and the first notations, if you will, of John Kelly's exploits were first put on paper. No one is really sure where the lyrics originated. I know you're a musician, so you can appreciate that. They, they kind of just originated over time and were joined with the words. And the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Makem, and especially Liam, because he sings the solo verse at the end, which is kind of haunting and, and yet, you know, has, if, if you close your eyes, you can almost picture what it must have been like 
as these men were just trying to go for basic human rights as far back as then, so many, 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 many years ago. And yet in Irish history, it's a significant part. So the song Killan is a town in County Wexford, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And John Kelly was from there, and that's why it's called Kelly the Boy from Killan. So you play as much as you're comfortable doing right now, and I will sit back and pour myself a whiskey. All right, brother. Sounds good. So what we'll do is we'll play about a minute or so of this, uh, Kelly the Boy from Clan. And here, this this is live at Carnegie Hall. Back to New York, buddy. There you go. March 17th, 1963. And what I'm blown away is the quality of this recording. So uh, give it a listen. We'll come back out, and then we'll say goodbye to everybody. Here you go, ladies and gentlemen. Kelly the Boy from Killane, live at Carnegie Hall, the Clancy Brothers. Western news, Western news, all my foes shall need. Wake your long bottle guns from the sea. Say what wind from the south brings a messenger here with the hymn of the dawn for the free. Goodly news, goodly news, do I bring you the port? Goodly news, shall you hear, Bargiman? For the boys march at dawn from the south to the north, led by Kelly. From Clan. Tell me who is the giant with the gold for my hair? He who rides at the head of your band. Seven feet is his height, with some inches to spare, and he looks like a king in command. Ah, my boys, that's the pride of the bold chevaliers, books no greatest of heroes of man. Take your beavers aloft and give breathing in. Go away out without now, yes. You can hear them there, Liam. It took them about a minute or so themselves to get the hands clapping. <laughs> Isn't that unbelievable, the, the quality of that from 63? I, I think it's phenomenal. That, that's it's absolutely recording. phenomenal. It's clear as day, clear as day here. I apologize for the noise there if you heard anything. I, I hope was, you didn't uh, spill stretching, anything. Stretching to reach the bottle of whiskey and I hope uh, you didn't spill knocked anything. over the microphone. You know we'll have to throw a penalty at you if you spilled anything. <laughs> Get this last verse. Turn this back up, Paul. You got it. Stripped naked from Highland dust With our heart pierced by traitors and slain Glory, oh, glory, oh, to our brave sons who died For the cause of long downtrodden man Glory, oh, to our Lancers of Darling Bob, Liam, give us a verse Halfway, Liam. Go on, give us a verse. I'll give you a verse, Polly. I'm gonna I, I tell you what I'm gonna give you right now. This is the last verse of the song. Okay, I'm not gonna okay. sing it, but I'm gonna read it for you. I'm gonna read it for <laughs> Come you. Come on. <laughs> no, I can't sing. I need way more whiskey than me before I start warbling <laughs> up this voice. Let me tell you. But I'm uh, then I'm gonna read this and then I'm gonna explain it to you. Okay. Okay. But but the gold sun of freedom grew darkened at Ross. 
and it's set by the Slaney's red waves. And poor Wexford stripped naked, hung high on a cross, with her heart pierced by traitors and knaves. Glorio, Glorio, to her brave sons who died for the cause of long downtrodden man. Glorio to Mount Leinster, his own darling and pride, dauntless Kelly, the boy from Killan. Now what that means, but the gold son of freedom grew darkened at Ross. That's short for Ross Common, okay? Okay. And it's set by the Slaney's red waves. Slaney is the River Slaney. That's the River Slaney. Runs right through Wexford, Wicklow, Car- uh, uh, the Carly Mountain. Uh, um, oh, geez, I'm forgetting a little bit of my Irish history there uh, geographically. Oh, but it's but it's a, a huge river, Slaney River. And poor Wexford stripped naked, hung high on a cross. That's actually a metaphor. When when the British took took back Wexford and they got John Kelly and and the other leaders of that particular area of the country they hung them from the bridge in Wexford and he was hung high on a cross so it's not just they're not just talking about that the town had been taken back but it, it's it's a metaphor because they're referring to John Kelly himself with her heart pierced by traitors and knaves well that's you know taking some creative liberty there maybe that perhaps internally in, in the fighting in 1798, we'll never know. But it certainly was a reference to that. Glorio, Glorio to her brave sons who died for the cause of long downtrodden man. That's so well written. Glorio to Mount Langster. And that's that's the mountain. That's Langster Mountain that that you can see really between the counties. Between Wicklow and, and Wexford is Mount Leinster. Uh, glory to Mount Leinster's own darling and pride, Dauntless Kelly, the boy from Killan. <laughs> I tell you what, that is just absolutely gorgeous. And I, I love it if you look it up. The town of Killan is in the parish of Rathmuir, west of Inniscordy in County Wexford. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like the scene in The Quiet Man when John Wayne's getting off the train and he wants to get to, to Innisfree and, and the old conductors and the old the old train people start arguing as to where it is. Well, if you knew your hurling as yeah. well as you <laughs> did your Irish history, you'd know that if you get west of the lippy and away they go. It's just, it's just fantastic stuff, man. So, Ties it all together. But, yeah, there you go. So there's there's John Kelly of Killan. Uh, Kelly, the boy from Killan is the song, and uh, it's a great song. It's a good song, not just on March 17th. You can play it on any day, and uh, and there's a little bit of history of its origin and, and what it means in the in the annals of Irish history. No, it's great, and if you do uh, hit it up on Wikipedia, it gives you exactly what you were talking about in terms of the story and the battle, and... Um... I think uh, it says uh, a man named Don, Don Partridge recorded a solo acoustic version of it in 64. So that's okay. After, that's wow. That's even after Clancy's version we just played in 63, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's got some history. Yeah. I mean, all the songs have great um, great history to them. His exploits are, so it's about uh, 
Patrick Joseph McCall. Yep, yep. He 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 wrote the the original. So he um, wrote the original. Um, okay. Yeah, but like in the mid eighteen hundreds, right? He was yeah, 18- he was born around eighteen sixty. I I I think if I remember 1861, correctly, sixty one, my friend. Yeah, eighteen sixty one, and you know McCall. That's 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 a, a anglicized version of his last name. He's got a pure pure Irish Gaelic last name. It was anglicized over time, as a lot of them were, but. He was, um, um, you know, he was he was a hell of a writer, and and he uh, he wrote th- those words. And again, as I said earlier, no one I don't think really knows when when the lyrics first originated. But it, it was a long time, you know. Uh, it's it's like well, let, me, let, um, me, let me read you this real quick. Let me read you this. Go ahead. Liam Gall, G A U L, describes how McCall yeah. wrote the song to commemorate the centenary of the 1798 rebellion, although it was not published in book form until appeared in McCall's Irish Fireside Songs in 1911. Gall says the origin of the melody used in the song is uncertain. There is no known reference to it before it was used in Kelly, the boy from Colin, and so it's likely that McCall, who was a talented musician, wrote the tune himself. Ah, See, there you go. I, I, that, I wasn't. I didn't know that. I didn't know that all that all that of it. But uh, no, I know. You know I grew it's, up. It's it's, it's uh, great to kind of have the inf- you know, it's great to look it all up here. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's a trip. It is. You know? No, I, I I think so too. And you know that type of music's a big part of your life and your history. And and uh, you know uh, we both have friends and relatives overseas and not in in Ireland and. And uh, you know it's um ah, it's uh, the country. I mean, it's my late father's uh, birthplace. You have family. Uh, it's it's a big part. I I think these songs are um are, they're they're important. And I I love the lyrics and I love the verses and I love the history of it. And and uh, I can tell you, um, I didn't sing it today, but boy, <laughs> you kept me in a bar. <laughs> and I'm and I'm in the middle of it, man. I would have been belting that song out as louder, louder than anybody in any any place. I can guarantee you that. So well, God willing, uh, I, I love that these... verse. That last verse always gets me. Always God, does. God willing, be able to do this show live one day up in Ottawa. I'll bring it up to Liam McGuire's. Yeah, it'll right? be something, buddy. It would be set something. it all up. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Sticks and tap. Yeah, live from McGuire's. <laughs> Please, God, that'll be the good stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. man. Well, as always, Liam, a fantastic episode. Great story, man. And uh, just a great nod to that song and the story. And we'll keep it going. We'll be back here next week. Thanks so much to everybody who's been tuning in. And uh, to all you Irish out there, keep the faith. To everybody out there of all faiths, uh, just hang in there. And if uh, me and Liam can uh, provide anybody a bit of relief, uh, we're glad to do it for you. I know, Liam, this is like therapy for me. It's great to talk to you (laughs) and kind of mix it up here a little bit. And before we go, Liam, before you say goodbye to everybody, when's the next uh, video of uh, This Day in Hockey History coming on uh, LinkedIn? Yeah, I I, I did. The last one I did was two nights ago for Gordie Howe's um, what would have been his 92nd birthday. If you haven't caught it, I I, I hope people check it out. I, I think it's some of my best work. I, I've got some really unique stuff in there on uh, on on Gordy Howe, and um, I'm, if I don't bang one out tonight, there'll definitely be one tomorrow. But I'll I'll probably end up still do I'm, I may do one tonight, Polly. But you can catch them if you follow me on social media. I post them all up there, and they're they're typically run pretty short, 10, 12, 13 minutes. And uh, yeah, again, just like you just said, you couldn't have said it better. Just trying to provide a bit of a distraction here in these crazy times. All good stuff. All right, folks. Thanks for listening to Sticks and Taps. Liam, say goodbye to everybody.
Thanks for listening, everybody. G'day.